Hello, you're listening to the Sound Approach podcast channel. Interviews and conversations with a focus on birds and conservation issues. My name is Charlie Moores, and today I'm looking at Bears Potchard. Named after Estonian scientist and explorer Carl Ernst von Bear, this is a species of East Asian duck that few outside of Europe had even heard of until it hit the headlines in early 2012, when Alan Lewis... A UK birder with a life list even then of well over 7,000 did a weekend twitch to see one that had been shown for a few days on a wetland a few hours drive from Tokyo. A long way to go for a duck, but there were no known accessible breeding sites and they were suddenly absent from regular wintering sites in, for example, South Korea and Japan. If you hadn't seen one and you wanted to, you needed to take any opportunity that presented itself because this was a species that, anecdotally at least, was in freefall and sliding rapidly towards extinction. A few years on and no one is in any doubt now that Bears Potchard is in serious trouble. Listed as critically endangered in 2012, it's all too clear now that without concerted conservation action, it could soon be gone forever. But how much is actually known about the species and the threats it faces? The short answer is probably not enough, but for a fuller answer, I headed over to Slimbridge in the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust to talk with Richard Hearn, WWT's Head of Monitoring. First question though, what is Bears Potchard and where is it found? It's a migratory Asian duck. Um, you know, the breeding population is uh, focused around northeast China and southeast Russia and they migrate south to, to the sort of Yangtze floodplain and areas further south into southeast Asia like uh, northeast India, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Thailand and it's uh, it's an athia, it's a you know diving duck related to tufted ducks and pochards and things and it's, it's, it's predominantly brown. It's fairly nondescript, actually. Yeah, which is With probably nice part head. of its problem. Yeah, but it's, yeah, the males have got a sort of, it's quite a chunky bird. It's yeah. quite scorp-like in structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's got a big rounded green head, the males, brown, various sort of shades of brown, quite sort of warm chestnuts with white flanks. Um, and the females are, are browner and quite, quite similar to, <laughs> to Ferruginous duck and female yeah. tufted duck, really, in, in coloration anyway. So what's its habitat requirements? We don't know lots about that, but like most atheas, it breeds on freshwater wetlands with lots of emergent vegetation and it winters on bigger, you know, bigger, more open sites, large lakes, reservoirs, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although some of the some of the recent records that we've been getting are coming from fish pond areas in the in the Yangtze, so it will use um, sites that are fairly significantly altered by right. by man. So it's not tied just to really pristine wetlands. Right. So it's not a maritime species at all. No. No. As far as we know, there are no no records from from coastal areas like you do get in in Europe. You know, some tufted ducks yeah, will winter yeah, on the exactly. sea and things exactly. like that, but. Not aware of any any coastal records of bears potchard, no. Okay. Um, And the important thing is it's in huge decline. We don't know precise, or you don't know precise population figures, but it's thought just around sort of 300. Yeah, uh, that's the best. The best evidence we've got at the moment comes from counts in the winter uh, in the last two or three years. And yeah, that suggests there may be fewer than 300 birds. We got up to 238 um, two, two winters ago when we tried to have a concerted effort to locate birds 
the counts that have come in from last winter are pretty similar number. So yeah, it could be could be fewer than than three hundred, which makes it one of the rarest species on the planet i guess so yeah it's yeah. certainly you know and what's probably of greater concern is that it appears to have been in you know very steep decline in the last five to ten years and probably in decline for 20 or 30 right so you know that's that's the real concern is that uh, there's not only very few birds left but but they're still declining so that there were still possibly in the thousands around the 19 90s perhaps at the turn of the century or or do you think the decline had, had already hit by uh, the turn of the century what the general sort of um, accepted position is is that it's probably been in decline since yeah the early 90s maybe the 80s there were there were reports of you know fewer bears potchard and things like that from around that time and it was first listed as vulnerable in the early 90s so there's been evidence of a decline for that sort of amount of time but it's in the last yeah, five to ten years that, that the rate of decline seems to have increased and the bird you know, has now become quite a hard bird to find anywhere. Yeah. You know, we've been looking for it with much greater effort in the last few years and we're still struggling to find significant numbers. Only five years ago, we did know of, a, of around a thousand birds that were wintering in the Yangtze floodplain. Five um, years ago? Yeah, yeah, I think it was winter 2010-11 there were 700 at one site and about a thousand birds um, located that winter and we haven't got close to a thousand birds since then and then that's despite the increase in effort for, of surveys so so yeah it's i'd be pretty confident in saying there's fewer than a thousand now despite the fact that it's wintering in these huge huge inland wetlands particularly in the yangtze floodplain which are very hard to survey so then around a thousand ten years ago well good numbers five years ago and we're now seriously looking at perhaps less than 300 so what's happened to them yeah well we don't know is the yeah. short answer <laughs> um but uh yeah a lot of the a lot of the information we have about about threats of um facing bears potchard are largely assumption they're drawn from what we know about threats facing other similar species they're the you know the usual culprits like habitat loss um, possibly unsustainable levels of hunting of both birds and eggs um, which we know is widespread in china we know it's affecting other species it could be affecting bears potchard as well with the hunting and the the egg collecting people aren't specifically trying to find bears potchards then it's just another duck it's it's another egg they're they're kind of all being swept up at the same time exactly yeah but um if you've got a population that's already significantly yeah. reduced as a result of say habitat loss which we know has been very extensive in the core part of its breeding range you're then left with a population that's very localized you only need some some concerted effort at collecting eggs at, yeah. at some of those key sites and you've got very little productivity coming out of the population, which could then really exacerbate the decline. Right. So that's speculation, but, you know, it seems pretty plausible to me. Yeah. Which could perhaps explain why there was um, a thousand just five years ago. And if they aren't being replaced in the population, they're just aging. And five years later, you've got hardly any left. Yeah, it could, it could be that. I mean, it's not to say that they're not breeding. We do, you know, young birds are getting seen in, in the winter. And we, you know, we know they're breeding at some of the some of the sites that we currently know about. But yeah, it's it's, it's relatively, you know, we're talking about relatively small numbers of birds here, right. and and that's not enough to to really keep the population stable at that higher higher level of abundance that it was five ten years ago. 
has this decline kind of um, snuck up on the experts? Well, yeah. I mean, as I say, there have been reports that the species was in decline for probably 20 or 30 years now. But information on water birds in Asia until very recently has been has been very scarce and yeah, so yeah. although you know there are anecdotal reports of a decline it's been it's been practically impossible to quantify it until the last five or ten years and what really helped us was uh, a big drive to uh, collect better information on wintering water birds in the Yangtze floodplain which right. was sort of started by WWF China back in 2004 and that information really helped us understand that yeah there's there's you know there's not many bears potched here there's not many bears potched anywhere else it, it is we're, we're starting to get a better understanding of the seriousness of the situation yeah that evolved over 2004 to about 2012 you have to have the science first really i mean there is hardly anyone out in in china keeping notes or keeping logs yeah no that, that's true i mean uh, the, the, you know luckily bird watching is on the on the rise in in china in particular from tiny numbers yeah but but, yeah. but i mean yeah there's still certainly not networks of observers like we've got in many countries in europe for example so so gathering that information is is difficult but also we're dealing with vast wetlands that that are you know the size of cities you know and those sites of you know even even with experienced observers they're very difficult to survey and you know lots of birds could be overlooked at those sites so you know that gives you certainly gives me some hope that there are more than 300 out there but as i say we've been looking harder and we're still not finding them yet so we we have to be cautious about that how do you bring back a species from 300 up to a sustainable population well i think the first step is is making sure the situation doesn't get any worse so we really need to find all the sites where it's currently breeding make sure those sites are protected make sure because they aren't at the moment are they no, well, we, do, we don't know where most of them are. So, so at the moment, we can, you know, locate, let's say, 250, 300 birds in the winter. Right. In the summer, we're, we're probably talking about a total of about 50 pairs that we can locate. It might even be less than that, actually. So there's quite a, quite a number of birds that we know are alive today that we don't know where they breed. So there, are, so there are sites that we need to locate and ensure that they're protected. And also the sites that we do know about where they're breeding are largely unprotected as well. Some of the, some of the most significant ones that we've found in the last few years are areas of fish pond as far south as the Yangtze floodplain, wow. which is just well out of what we thought was the, tradi- the breeding range traditionally. So um, we're learning a lot about the species distribution actually at the moment particularly in the breeding season are we learning fast enough hard to say (laughs) hard to say because because it's hard to say exactly how rapidly they're still you know they're declining yeah all we can do is try to locate those sites as quickly as possible and make sure that local authorities are aware of them aware of their importance for bears potchard and do what we can to protect them and so some of that work is starting to happen now so there's been a site site um another site in the yangtze floodplain located recently it's an area of fish pond they're probably breeding there they're certainly wintering there there was 200 almost all the birds we knew about this winter were there there was 200 there in the, at yeah, the start of the year yeah. And, um, that must have been an amazing site. Perhaps yeah. most of the world's population of bears potted on one locate on yeah. one site. Yeah, and I mean maybe that you know that that does make you think. Oh well, if there's 200 there, there must be lots more than 300. Yeah, it doesn't. But um, <laughs> it doesn't. but it's just that I think you know it was a colder winter. They yeah. were more concentrated. I'm not sure it is great evidence that there's a lot more than 300. Yeah. But um, 
yeah, so there's been some there's been some um, liaison with the provincial authorities in, at that site to remove crayfish traps and, and fish traps from the site, which is obviously you know a potential threat to the to the breeding bear spotter. They could get trapped. We know last year that um, a whole brood of ducklings and an adult got caught in crayfish traps. Luckily, they were rescued before anything died apart from one of the ducklings right. but uh but it's certainly certainly could be a, a threat to birds so we need to try and remove those sorts of activities from any sites where they're trying to breed if at each site a family of bears poachers were being taken out of the the population that could have a significant impact but well, again yeah, like you say yeah. we just don't know yeah we don't we don't know the extent of it it's a, it's certainly a localized issue it could be more extensive than that but you know what we really need to do if we're going to save bears poachers once we've shored up the current situation I would imagine that you know habitat loss in the core part of the breeding range has been a major cause of decline and so you know we need to start thinking about ways in which we can restore wetlands so that they're suitable for breeding wildfowl and other water birds in in the areas of northeast china which you know have been largely converted to rice paddy i mean that's hard enough to do in the uk where where the, there is a strong movement to do that we, we have lots of experience over here of, of restoring wetlands that that just hasn't hasn't been done in east asia at all yet and they are vast vast areas yeah yeah it's it's a it's going to be a significant challenge and and um, it's a long-term objective, so which is why it's really important that we shore up the remaining population. I'm sounding very pessimistic here, and I really shouldn't, because there are things being done. Flyaway partnerships now are starting to come on board. There is a focus now on bear spotted, isn't there, that certainly wasn't there five years ago even. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's understandable that you might feel pessimistic. <laughs> you know, let's not be let's not kid ourselves. It's a pretty yeah. serious situation. Yeah. But, uh, but you're right. Yeah, in the last five years, you know, things have started to happen. There is now an action plan that's been written and adopted by the East Asian Australasian Flyway Partnership, and they've got a you know, there's a task force now set up under that partnership to implement the action plan. And also, what's very welcome is that. Um, a professor called Guangchun Lei at Beijing Forestry University has found funding to employ a postdoc researcher to work on bears pochard um, for the next two or three years. So, you know, that's really good and should really help to improve our knowledge on the status of the species, its ecological requirements, that kind of thing. She's in post now. Yeah, she just started a, yeah. a month or so ago. Right. So, um, so this summer we're really trying to focus on gathering that basic knowledge of, of, about where the species breeds, trying to identify all the sites, identify what the threats are at those sites, um, and so on. And then we can then we can maybe look to try and get more detailed ecological research underway from next summer onwards. There's been some talk about hybridisation with ferruginous duck. What do you think about the speculation around that? Well, I, I certainly think it's something we've got to we've got to put into the into the pot as as possible threats. We know for sure that it that it hasn't been a uh, a threat that's driven the decline. No, no, of course but it not. could. But as we said earlier, you know, every bird counts yeah, now, and yeah. it could be a localized threat. What's happened with ferruginous ducks in the last um, 10, 20 years is that is that they're, they're doing very well. Actually, they've expanded their breeding distribution across China from the west. Uh, and so their breeding range now overlaps with the breeding range of bears pochard. Which it, which it hadn't done in the past. It hadn't done historically, no. Mm. And so so we do now have um, at least one site where both species are breeding. And there have been observations of mixed pairs displaying. So there is some suggestion that hybrids could, could well occur. But as yet, we've got no further evidence other than the observation of, of some birds in the winter 
that that look like hybrids right um, actually the key word there is look like hybrids rather than have been proven to be hybrids yeah although i think with some of them and some of them we can be pretty certain are hybrids because they've got a real obvious mixture of of, of characteristics other birds are much less obviously right. hybrids and there are there are maybe things that we don't fully understand about changes in bears potched plumage individual right. variation on that it's quite surprising really that we're we're not even sure what bears potched looks like in every plumage yet are we Certainly that sort of variation, um, individual variation, and the periods like when they're molting out of eclipse and they look a bit scruffy like, and a bit atypical yeah, to the, you know, yeah. the classic winter, winter plumages. Yeah. Um, those sorts of times of the year, we are a little bit lacking in knowledge, possibly. We're, we're going to try and document that sort of change in plumage through the captive birds that we've got at Slimbridge yeah, um, yeah. and hopefully use that to, to better understand the extent of hybrids in the wild. Yeah. You have bears potches at Slimridge. We, it's not them calling in the background no. quite clearly. <laughs> um, how many bears potches are there in captivity at the moment? Do you there's, know, there's about 150 in Europe um, and and some in the in the US as well. And um, and we've got about half of the European population here at Slimbridge. So there is there is a population of birds that could be used as as a captive breeding population. You know, and potentially that that could lead to restocking of the wild population once we've got a bit of a handle on on the threats maybe restored suitable habitat those yeah, kind of things yeah, yeah obviously you, you, there has to be habitat for birds to be put back into and we need to know they're going to survive as well you yeah know, if the yeah. threats are all still out there it's it's not very you know productive no it's really not yeah. <laughs> um and all the birds here at Slimridge are pure bears potches that there hasn't been any hybridization w- with any other species in collections yeah no um We've done some testing. We've done some genetic testing. There's work that was funded by the Oriental Bird Club right, to right. to look at the genetic status of all of our captive bears potchards. So we've worked with Cardiff University on this, and yeah, we can we can be pretty confident that they they aren't hybrids and they're not inbred either. So they are, as far as we can tell, good basis for a captive breeding population. What we want to do now is roll that genetic testing out to to birds in other collections in Europe oh, and that also was the in next States. question so yeah. that, that hasn't been done yet not for the not for the total captive population we've only done it for birds held by WWT so far so that's the next step um, then we're in a, a better position to put a uh, a strategy together for the captive population presumably the birds that you've got here are closely related so would it help genetic uh, variation if birds from uh, collections in the states perhaps were brought over here to breed with birds in european collections that's a real mouthful yeah. <laughs> i should probably say that from all the again. top <laughs> yes it may well be so although we're although the genetic work that we did showed that the birds are not uh, not hybrids and they're not particularly inbred there has been genetic drift away from the wild population uh, we need better samples from the wild population right, because right, obviously right understandably they're very difficult to come by but yeah it looks like it looks like there's less genetic variation in the captive population than there is in the wild population so yeah some some mixing up of of um, captive stocks could well help to alleviate that certainly 
You mentioned the Oriental Bird Club. I mean, this is a bird from their range, so presumably they're interested in other areas of research that they can help you with, perhaps? Maybe. I don't know. I've not spoken to them about uh, about <laughs> funding <laughs> other work. Out around, right. but, um, but certainly they've been very supportive of, of the firstly, the genetics work that we did, but also in helping to raise awareness about the species. We've had a couple of articles published in Birding Asia, um, which has summarised what we know about bears potchard, and, yeah, they're very been very supportive of uh, of our need to raise awareness about the species it's almost a dread question richard but um the future for bears potchard are, are you able to feel optimistic i don't think it's a lost cause it's going to be hard work there's absolutely no guarantees at this stage of the game but i feel optimistic that it's not going to go extinct and i feel optimistic that we can we can at least um, shore up the current population and and use that as a basis for going forward and trying to restore it. Um, anyone interested in the birds of East Asia are going to see the parallels with Spoonbill Sandpiper. I mean, clearly it was a bird that was once fairly common. It wasn't actually that long ago. It was still least concerned. Then it went vulnerable, then it was endangered, and lo and behold, there it is, critically endangered. We've got to do something about it. Are there other declines that are happening, possibly, that we still aren't aware of and, and that we could be sat here in five years time going god if only we'd realized so-and-so was was disappearing as fast as spoonbill sandpiper and bears potchard yeah. well I, I think you know what the spoonbill sandpiper story you know highlights is not just um the fact that spoonbill sandpipers have, have declined massively but the other lots of other shorebirds in asia have also done the same and now yeah. there's you know there's a lot of focus on spoonbill sand obviously but there's also you know a lot of focus on other shorebirds in that flyway right. and in that sense you know spoonbill sandpiper was a bit of a canary in the mine for yeah, for that yeah, whole yeah. shorebird crisis that sort of unfolded and um and i think you know there is every chance that bears potcher could be um, a similar canary for for you know migratory waterbirds in that sort of central not central asia but that sort of you know inland bit of eastern asia yeah. but but at the moment we just don't know i mean there's there's despite the fact that um that you know waterbird counting and monitoring in in asia has improved a lot in the last 10 years we're still not in a position where we can confidently say anything about population trends in the more common and widespread species so yeah there are some rare birds and we've got reasonable data on those but but it's it's the teals and the garganies and things like that where it's very hard to say how well they're doing there is anecdotal evidence or localized evidence that quite a few of these species are declining the numbers yeah. of gargany in thailand for example wintering in thailand have declined by 90 percent in the last really? I'm not, you know, 10 15 years or so what we don't know is whether that's representative of the whole population or whether they've moved. And, yeah, it's unlikely that they've all moved, I suppose. So there are signs that other um, waterbirds in a inland Asia are, are declining, but we need more evidence, really. Right. I guess the conservation strategy for bears potchard hasn't been put in place yet because you simply haven't got the information. So at this stage, you can't say that helping bears potchard would potentially help other species that are in a similar predicament. We don't know that, but if we, you know, if we assume we're largely right uh, with what we think the main threats are, habitat loss, hunting, those aren't things that are specific to bears potchard. Right. Um, and it may be that, you know, bears potchard, a bit like Spoonie, you know, it, it historically wasn't as abundant as, as some of the other species. And because of that, it's the species that we've detected the critical decline in first. The other species may be declining just as rapidly, 
but because they're more abundant, we haven't detected it yet. You know, that, that could well be happening. So by working on bear's potchard and doing things to maybe restore some habitat, alleviate the pressure from harvesting, uh, you know, we will probably be helping some of these other water birds as well. Right. And how soon would you hope that you'd be able to put a strategy in place? Soon. <laughs> soon. Really soon. <laughs> well, we tomorrow. already have, we, we, yeah, yeah, tomorrow would be great. We already have a we already have an action plan that's been yeah. adopted by the Flyway Partnership. So we have a basis for going forward. But sometimes these things the can take a little time to get yeah. implemented. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So so you know, not very much other than gathering more baseline information has happened yet. So we do we do need to start to get serious about implementing the action plan very yeah. soon yeah um i i always ask this at the end of interviews how can anyone listen to this help but there really isn't any way at the moment that anybody can help i suspect and unless they're out in east asia um if they've got information about seeing a bear's potcher i guess every single sighting is key at the moment yeah certainly so, certainly please do report any sightings if you're out out in asia and, and you see bears potchard they're all very valuable and also really useful to report the ratio of males to females as well if you actually get a count of, of yeah, you know more yeah. than a, a bird or two um you know the obvious answer to your question is you know it depends how deep their pockets are <laughs> you know funding is always a significant bottleneck to any conservation so yeah. so of course you know funding is 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 an important part of us being able to implement the action plan and I, I guess the funding pot gets spread ever thinner the more we learn about the threats that are, that are out there well absolutely yeah the, you know every year bird life's red list grows grows every year you know the same amount of conservation resource has got to be spread more thinly so it's an yeah increasing challenge of course but one you will meet richard i'll do my best <laughs> Richard, thank you very much indeed. Well, and thank you to to you as well for giving us this opportunity to raise awareness of bears potchard. I mean, it you know it is a you know a nondescript, fairly poorly known bird, but you know its conservation is really important. And as I say, it, it could also be really important for other water birds in Asia as well. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much indeed. Okay, cheers. Richard Hearn, WWT's head of monitoring. Does it matter if a nondescript and fairly poorly known Asian duck disappears? Well, as Richard says, like the spoon-billed sandpiper was for tidal flat shorebirds, Bez Potchard might well be the canary in the coal mine for waterfowl, and perhaps other groups of birds like rails that are found on inland wetlands across Asia. A symbol, perhaps, of the enormous changes taking place in vast areas of the world, affecting biodiversity and wildlife. You've been listening to a Sound Approach podcast one of a growing collection of interviews and conversations with a focus on birds and conservation issues. If you'd like to learn more about The Sound Approach, the award-winning publisher that aspires to popularise birdsong and turn a world of bird watchers into bird listeners, please go to soundapproach.co.uk.